Welcome to Second Win, the podcast where we uncover the stories, methods, and modalities of women and men who have found their purpose while walking this earth. Sometimes they found their second win by accident, sometimes by hardship, and sometimes by intent. There is always something to learn from others and really isn't finding our own purpose what we are all looking for. I know I am. And that's why I'm hosting this very podcast. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Welcome Second Wind. Meet Star Bradbury. Star is a senior living expert who has given thousands of families the education and information needed to navigate the complex world of senior healthcare. Star has been working with seniors for over 25 years. Her new book, Successfully Navigating Your Parents' Senior Years, started as an outline that actually came to her in a dream. There was a different title too, Your Parents Don't Want to Live With You Either, which I thought was hysterical and really, really on point, at least in my situation, but you know, editors know best, so that's not the title. And Star has 72 accumulative years, which has gotten her to the point where she has said she is not afraid of intense personal growth. Star has all of the ingredients to make her a perfect fit for second wind. So welcome to the podcast, Star Bradbury. Thank you, Wendy. You are so welcome. Oh, what a nice introduction. <laughs> oh, thank you. And we, and I don't like to give away too much in the introduction, but this book, Successfully Navigating Your Parents' Senior Years, and my mom's in a really good situation right now, but even me flipping through and reading parts of it, I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. And you have said things in this book that make a lot of sense. Some I've implemented and some I need to. So this is good for all of us. And especially when we're in our second wind, we either are in the thick of it with our parents or know people that are, or we can also work at helping our children as they're aging help us as we're aging. So I love how this works. It's perfect for second wind. But let's talk about that moment that kind of changed your trajectory that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this now and this is my second wind. What was that for you, Star? Well, that's such a good question. And uh, I haven't shared with too many people, but I shared with you that I honestly woke up one morning and I felt like I'd written this entire book Somehow in my sleep, I felt like it was a vision, Wendy. I literally sat up and had both a a visual image of like 10 chapters. And something inside of me said, pay attention. Like my intuition was so powerful. Pay attention, get up and go write these chapters down. You're writing a book. That is what happened. Wow. Did it just flow? Like you you got up out of bed, you're asleep. (laughs) You get up out of bed and you grab a pen and you're like, okay, you grab a pen and paper and did you just, it just, just flow? Cause some yes. people say when that's happening, you're actually not the one writing. Well, it almost felt like that. And it isn't like, you know, how some people chronicle their dreams. Nope. I hadn't been doing that or kept a dream journal. Nope. You know, it's not like I had the habit as some of my friends right. do of getting up and writing, nor did I think of myself as a writer that I wouldn't have checked yes, I'm a writer, other than writing some poetry. I really did not think of myself as a writer. So when this vision came, and it was so powerful, 
so powerful that I would have to tell you that it, it was and had became an obsession. Mm. That I really felt that it was important for me to help educate families so they could make informed decisions. As I like to say, you don't know what you don't know. And here you are thrown into a crisis and a challenge to try to help your parents. And you don't have the information that you need, Wendy, to make a, an informed, educated decision. Right. And you're at the mercy of whatever is available at that moment you're looking, which may not be what you need to be seeing. Exactly. There could be other agendas. You know, you hit the nail on the head. You don't know what's available. And that's why I wrote the book, to give people an education ahead of a crisis. So many people during COVID were unprepared for to make really intense oh. decisions. Do I move my parents? Should, they, you know, should I have to get them out of the city or come live with me? Or there were long-term circumstances that meant they couldn't live alone at home. And so people were just thrown into such turmoil. Plus, with my 25 years experience of sitting and down and talking with people and realizing, well, why would you know, Wendy, if you didn't have to learn? <laughs> why would you know what you needed to know? That's a really good point. And we hadn't talked about that part. I knew you, that's during COVID is when you said, now's the time I'm getting this done. True. But I didn't realize that you're absolutely right. People were thrust into these situations. It's like you don't plan for your house to burn down, but then it does now, right? It's the same idea. What a good analogy. Yeah. But the reason I felt so obsessed with writing the book and trying to help people is because my firm belief, as I state in this book, is you can do so many things to be prepared. As I like to say, it's not if your parents are going to need help, it's when. And we don't like to think about it. We don't, most of us don't plan for it. And certainly as adult children trying to work full time and raise children and our lives are so full and I'm past that stage at 72, but I remember what that's like and where you think I just can't do one more thing. But Wendy, in the survey that AARP did just a few years ago, there's one in five Americans are caregivers. One in five, 53 million people are providing unpaid caregiving to their family members. Now, that survey included disabled children, let's say, or people, but I'd say probably close to half of that, half of that number are seniors. And that's a lot of caregiving going on out there. Struggling, stressed out. Oh my gosh, what do I do now? That's why I wrote the book for. Oh, and okay, well, I'm going to, the book is fabulous. Everyone <laughs> should have it on their shelf. And this book will get passed right on down to my children. Oh, well, that's the funny thing, Wendy. So many people are saying, I'm buying four books because I'm giving them to my children. And I say, well, please read it yourself. You can extrapolate this information as a senior to yourself. And then sit down and talk with your family. Have the discussions I, I say are so important. And make a plan. Develop a plan. And I've had other guests on the podcast. I forget who it was, but we were saying... Just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Oh, that's like so the elephant perfect. will remain in the room whether you acknowledge it or not. True. So let's go back a little bit because honestly, if you look through this book, there's so many parts and it's just a huge amount of information, right? The difference between ALFs 
and what they are and just like all these things, Medicare versus Medicare, like just the stuff, entry fees, whether you need to pay them, but for you to really wrap your own world around it and make it your obsession. I like to dive back and find out who is star. <laughs> and you, you talked about that and you're like, wow, nobody's done this before. I'm like, well, gosh, it just makes sense to me to understand who you are that got you to, to this point where you wrote this book so that we have that connection. And you grew up not with like the father with the briefcase doing the nine to five job and the mom cooking, baking and cooking for everybody no, every night. You true. had a very childhood and I thought that was really interesting. Can you share that with us? Yes. Yes. And the funny thing is, as a 72-year-old woman, I look back at my life and I think, well, if anyone had told me as a teenager or as a young woman that I would arrive here having written a book, I would have been non-believing. I, I just wouldn't have connected the dots. But you never know where, what is that expression? Life is what happens to you when you're planning. It's a great expression. I wish I could capture it. When you're making plans, life happens. Yeah. Life is what happens when you're planning something else. You know, you think you're going in one direction, then you go in another. So I grew up in New York City with an identical twin sister. My parents were very talented and actually both in, I guess you could say, what a lot of New Yorkers say is the business, meaning my mother was an actress and my father worked for CBS television. He started out in theater and then went into production television with CBS. And so we grew up in a very artistic family and a family that loved the arts. And we went to Lincoln Center. I got to see Leonard Bernstein. You know, here's like a Star Bradbury trivia question. I got to sit in the audience when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan Live because my <sighs> father worked on the Ed Sullivan Show, which was CBS. And my sister and I were screaming Beatle maniacs at the perfect age to... <laughs> Just to uh, enjoy that, we got to see the Beatles oh, live. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, I, yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> Sometimes when I see them on television, I try to see, can I see myself in the audience? Oh, that's funny. Dr. Rob Kelly was on the podcast and he played bass or something with the Beatles in one of their albums. That's interesting that now I've had two people who have been up close and personal. Interesting. Yes. So when we went to, I started dancing very, very young and danced really, really seriously for many, many years. I think I shared that with you. And at one point, I realized that I wasn't willing to commit to the artist's life. I wasn't willing to sacrifice having children or a home and live my life as a starving artist. And it, very few dancers can make a, what I would call a decent living. And then and have children and still tour and you're either going to have a dance studio which didn't appeal to me at all you know or try to tour with a, a company and that those just weren't options I decided plus I found myself as I think I shared with you divorced with two children and going hmm gosh I better I better figure out just exactly what I'm going to do to support myself and my children so I got very very serious about working and building a career yeah. And you said to me, you weren't really sure what you wanted to do. And then you realized that, oh, what did you say? Something about you had to think about what your skill set was. True. What your skills yes. were. And somebody, did somebody tell you that? I forget how that came about where you were like, oh, I need to think about all the skills I have. And one of them was being able to talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime, 
true. I never thought of that as a skill. I would never have put that down as one of my greatest strengths is the ability right. to talk to anybody. And I think I inherited that from my parents, both of who were charming and articulate and outspoken, especially my mother. Well, in the business, like they right. were in the, they had to communicate and talk to many different people. And they were welcome in our home and they entertained. And of course, and my mother expected my twin sister and I to show up and be charming and, and help pass out <laughs> drinks and hors d'oeuvres <laughs> and, and to engage and talk with adults. So I grew up in that environment and I never occurred to me it was a gift. Hmm. And suddenly I thought, well, what would lend itself? What kind of career would lend itself to someone who could talk a lot? <laughs> oh, Basically. it ended up being marketing and sales. And then I kind of chose the niche of senior living because I love older Why? people. Well, I love older people. And people say, oh, you must have been so close to your grandparents. But my maternal grandmother passed away when I was six or seven. For many reasons, I wasn't particularly close to my father's parents, even though I saw them and loved them. We didn't spend a lot of time with him. But I just knew that I could resonate with people, especially older people. And I also thought, well, this, this is something that has some longevity to it. This is a population mm -hmm. that's growing. Their needs are going to continue, the baby boomers, of which I'm one okay. now. But mm -hmm. um, it turned out to be a good choice, Wendy, for me. Yeah. So how did you like embark on that? And what made you think you could? Well, I knew the community that I live in well. At that point, I'd been here, gosh, I've been here now 40 years. Where's here, Florida? Uh, yes, Gainesville, Florida. It's a university town. Okay, so you moved, we missed a piece because you were in New York, but then oh, what gosh. made you move? There's a lot in between. <laughs> yeah, you moved, you, you left out a section. Yes, star. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Just a few years. So I grew up in New York City and then we moved. Right. My parents were still married. We moved to Connecticut. We did the suburbia thing for a while. And then when my parents divorced and my mom remarried, oops, up and moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida in the middle of my junior year of high school. Now, as a mom at 72, I look back and I think, what was she thinking? But that was my mom. My mom was about my mom. Okay. And so, you know, she, because I would have said, well, I, I'm going to let my daughters finish their high school experience here in Connecticut. I'm not going to uproot them and move them in the middle of their junior right. year. But that's, that's what happened. Now, again, I look back and I say, well, what did I learn from that? I learned a lot of resiliency. I learned that I mm -hmm. could make new friends, arrive in a new school in the middle of the year, yeah, it was tough. I guess that's all that all of us can remember. If you really think back, the oh, heebie-jeebies of being yes, that kid. Yes. Absolutely. I felt like I had been transported to another world. If you can imagine moving from the Northeast, from a very liberal, open-minded, even then, you know, Northeast, to Florida in the 60s, where practically the high schools were still almost might as well have been segregated. I thought, where, where am I? I mean, you know, the funny thing is I swore, I said, I will get out of Florida as soon as I can. Of course, I kind of wonder about that now, but uh, I've been in Gainesville a long time. The clock is ticking. You're still there. <laughs> I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. That's about what I said. You know, you think you're, you're going to have one life and then things happen and you find yourself 
still here. But I do love Gainesville. It's a university town. It's very, people think of it as a sports town, which it is. It can't, can't say Gainesville without saying University of Florida Fighting Gators, you know, right. Florida football, of which I don't know much about. But there's fabulous museums, the Harn Museum. There's a professional ballet company that I'm on the board and very involved with, still connected to my love of dance and the arts. There's oh, theater, great. so much theater and music. So it's a very livable town, and it's a university town. Great medical community here. So there's many reasons people move here and stay here. But, yes, that was quite the journey from New York. So I ended up staying. Yeah. I, went, I went to school in Vermont. I went to Bennington. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I thought I'd live in New England. But I found myself very connected to the world of senior living. And uh, you know, I don't say I'm an expert in many things, but when it comes to, I ran an assisted living facility. I ran a, as the administrative director, got my license. I ran a, a memory care, dementia-specific oh. assisted living. And then I went to work for Oak Hammock at the University of Florida. That was a startup. It wasn't open yet. That was a life care community. Uh, what's called a UBRC, university-based retirement community, life care community, affiliated with the University of Florida. I was there for 18 years. And when I retired from there, I was 68, and I just knew I wasn't done, Wendy. You retired. Most people are like, yay, let's go do stuff. I know. Let's go on that cruise. <clears throat> My son's fiance's grandmother just retired, and she hates it, by the way. But she's planning the cruise. She's planning the things. I think she's going to find something else to do. What did that look like for you when you first retired that made you say, I'm not done yet? I already knew before I retired that I could not go cold turkey. I was too too driven and too used to working. And I also knew that I got a lot of juice. I hope that's the right word, but a lot of energy from helping people and staying engaged in something deeply meaningful. And in fact, Wendy, I list that as one of the five pillars of aging successfully mm -hmm. is having a raison d'etre, having a, a reason to be, a legacy, or a wanting to make a difference, or paying it forward. However you want to phrase it, whatever's personal to you as people are listening to me, what do you feel that you can do to make a difference in someone else's life or give back. And for me, it was this 25 years of accumulated experience that I felt I could put in a book and help families before a crisis, making a plan and really looking at, at this information to apply to their own lives. Yes, I, that's amazing. Was it when you retired that you got this dream? Oh, no. No, I, this, you know, the vision, the vision. But the dream, that was like, honestly, I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit, but it was 12 years ago. It was long before I retired. I had taken this personal development class, Landmark Education, which is, I tell people, you know, you can either go to therapy for three years or take a <laughs> take Landmark Forum for three days. <laughs> yeah. talk, talk about intense. It's not for everybody. It's an intense crash course in intense personal development. And it was shortly after I took one of those classes that I woke up with this dream. And so I think that mm. sort of inspired it. But 
it was 12 years ago. And what happened, Wendy, is I would start the book. First of all, I did start the book. I took that vision seriously. I mean, I know this sounds a little extreme, but it was really like God speaking to me like in the Old Testament, like with a prophet, a Bible saying, and then God spoke. It was like, what? No, but I'm writing a book? It's not a thought that you had. See, that's the thing. That's the thing that I'm trying to uncover here is we get these things placed. I really do think that. And, and I think you do too. You get this I idea do. placed in your mind and then you choose how right. you want to proceed with that. Well, absolutely. And 12 years ago, fortunately, I said, I don't know how long this is going to take. It is a, such a good thing. Number one, I didn't know how long it was going to take and how hard it was going to be to actually take this 10 chapter vision and fast forward, have it actually be a real book. It was hard. The hardest thing I think I've ever done. I think I would, I would say that. But, you know, I would start it and then there'd be a death in the family and I'd stop or there'd be a, a major crisis or tragedy and then I'd stop. And, you know, I, I, would ha I would have to be the caregiver for my stepfather after my mom died and move him up to Gainesville. And so I would stop. But that little voice just kept saying, go back, go back to this book. So I would write during vacations. And, and then during COVID, that was, if there was a silver lining for me, I kind of thought, this is it, Star. You're either going to finish the book, find an agent, and find a publisher. And I didn't, I didn't give myself a, or you're not. It's like, you are going to do this. Oh, you didn't give yourself an out. You know my philosophy, create what you choose next. So I knew I am going to find an agent. I'm going to find a publisher. I am going to finish this book, my obsession. And it was also sort of like leveraging my, you know, look how much time I put into it. So I was committed to finishing it. Yeah. You don't want like somebody to find it someday and say, what is this? And why is it? Oh, my friends are so sick of it. Are you really going to ever finish that book? Come on. Star. Oh, my gosh. But you had started when you retired, you had already started a consulting gig, right? Yes. The year before I retired, I started an LLC and I actually had a consulting offer before I left my position. They, people knew I was leaving and they said, well, we want to hire you as a consultant a little more than I wanted to for the first year. And now I really just do consulting part-time. Many people call me. I don't really advertise. It's word of mouth. Uh, mm -hmm. And people reach out to me when they need help. And I like to say my niche is helping people develop a plan to age successfully. And I help sit down with them and look at what is your plan and how strong is your support team and is your family nearby and what do you want? You know, do, I work from from the point of perspective of what people think they want. Now, that may not always line up with what's what's going to maximize their independence. My principle number one. Right. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about that, because in going through your own experiences, it's almost like to me looking at it as you tell your story and the times we've spoken, you needed to go through those to really put them in the book so they were really easily digested by the reader. So for example, was it your father, stepfather had Parkinson's? My dad had Parkinson's. Oh, your dad, okay. And then his wife was left behind 
and this is worth talking about because okay. this I'm sure more people than we know have had an experience. I've even had experience where I've had to call the police for my mom, but where your stepmother was left in an apartment in the city, which as an aging person has so many challenges. Absolutely. You know, you've got the parking, you've got how do you move maneuver? It's not a kind place to age in. Any big metropolitan area can be challenging. I mean, while you, you may have, I'm, which is not to suggest that moving out to the country in the middle of nowhere is, that's an opposite, don't choose that either. But yeah, my, my dad had Parkinson's. I, first of all, I wanted them both to move to Florida closer to me. But what happens with many parents and loved ones, aging loved ones, is they get to a point where that is just no longer a feasible option, Wendy. It's too difficult. Mm -hmm. Usually a health crisis has already happened, or in my dad's case, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And even though it was slow progressing for him, uh, moving was really out of the question. It was just too overwhelming. So that never happened. And plus, my stepmother hated Florida. So that was another little issue. So we, my sister and I, my twin and I, would go up and try to go together and visit them several times during the year. But of course, we had kids. We were working full time. So that was challenging. But he passed away first. And even that was a crisis. You know, I start the book with the phone rings in the middle of the night and you find out that your mom or dad has just been taken to the hospital. And yeah. that was exactly what happened. We got a call in the mid pretty much in the middle of the night saying, your dad's been rushed to the hospital. He's septic. He has a terrible infection and he's on a respirator. I mean, it was a nightmare. Wendy, it was a nightmare. And I'm so, sure you're filled with questions. Like, how did it get to this point? Well, right? like, oh my God. I mean, there were all kinds of medical reasons that it did get to that point. But what I like to point out is, and I say this in the book, I hope this makes sense to to your listeners. I describe post-retirement years in the book as the go-go years, the slow-go years, and the no-go years. And people make the mistake of thinking that their parents are always going to be those active, newly retired, traveling. I can't tell you the number of times people say, but my dad was just golfing five times last week, and now he's in the hospital and declining rapidly. The thing is that at a certain age, you lose some resiliency. You lose some ability to bounce back. If your parents are going to need help, it's when. Hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. Somebody can go from the go-go years to the no-go years. They're not doing anything. They're, you know, they're either be, they're restricted by their health or their mobility or their cognitive impairment. Those could be many things that might contribute to what I call the no-go years. For my dad, moving was out of the question. And as he declined, right. he declined rapidly and then had this event. And we basically knew what his wishes were. I can't stress that enough. I have the peace of mind of knowing what my father's wishes were when my sisters and I called in hospice for the end of his life. So you could push and play. Right. And a lot of families are at that. I would imagine what you found. And one of the reasons you wrote the book is something like this will happen. And people are like, oh, well, I want to I think dad should go here or I think dad should go here. And then you get this tug of war within yes. the supposed caregivers. I've seen this type of situation tear people apart. And that's why mm -hmm. I'm saying the time to discuss this 
with your parents are when they are completely with it, able to be articulate and clear. That's why the whole beginning of the book is develop a plan and it addresses the importance of advanced directives. You don't want to be sitting there in the emergency room when the doctor's saying, what does your dad want? Are you their healthcare surrogate? Where is the healthcare surrogate? That's the person that speaks for you. When you can no longer speak for yourself, you want to be able to say with clarity, my dad told me, and it might be, he wants everything tried. Don't don't let him go. Remember now, just because you're the healthcare surrogate, you're there to carry out your loved one's wishes, not yours. And their wishes might be, I want everything attempted, or please don't. I'm ready to go. We knew my father was ready to go with advanced Parkinson's and a super pubic catheter. I mean, I could get into details and and all kinds of issues. He was ready to go. We knew that, though. We had asked him. Mm -hmm. We had talked to him. So I want to stress Mm -hmm. the importance of finding out. And you know what? For those of you that are saying, oh, I just can't imagine bringing this up. How am I going to bring this up to my parents? They're more ready than you think, to, and they're more willing. And if you do it from a place of love and compassion, they will be open to talking to you about it. They likely will want to. And if you need help, I mentioned the Conversation Project, which is a wonderful website that gives you all kinds of, of course, I give suggestions in the book, too, about how do you open up these conversations? Yeah. Yeah. Hold people's hands a little bit. It's so helpful. And, and and I find that in speaking to people, and we've had other people on the podcast talking about the same subject, it's more your hangups, you yes. as the child, you as the friend, you as the caregiver, that is is more hung up on having that conversation as, to your point than your parents are. And they're probably, they've already thought about it probably and are okay. And Everybody who doesn't want to make the other person uncomfortable Correct. is what it all comes down to. You know what you can I say to people is, well, why don't you as the adult child or the adult involved person, because it could be family of choice or family of origin. There's plenty of people I know that take care of people who are not their biological parents. And right. so, but you can say, you know, I've decided to do my own living will. I mean, I suggest to anybody that they should have a living will. You don't need to be 70 or 80 or, you know, you can be 40 and have, you should have a living will. You should. I tell that to people in our restaurant. Yes. I'm like, listen, they have insurance policies. I'm like, well, where do you want that to go? Right. When you die. Well, I don't know. It'll probably go to my dad. Is that where you want it to go? Well, no. I'm like, well, you have to think about these things. That's right. You do. It could happen. So the way to introduce it to reluctant parents is to talk about what you're doing for yourself. I'm doing my own living will. I'm already chosen, fill in the blank, this person to be my healthcare surrogate, my healthcare proxy. And so I'd like to talk to you. Have you done yours? That's so good. That's a great segue. Tell me and tell us, not me, <laughs> tell, the, tell the audience, you've got some really cool things that through and what I was saying earlier was you've got now you've got all these experiences and it's almost like you couldn't have written the book without having to go through all these things and make it digestible for everyone because you've been there done that kind of thing on so many levels in this book and you've got some pretty cool pillars and principles that I think are just genius and fabulous and you want to share those with us because I they make so much sense and it's good stuff to just live by that's true And interestingly enough, 
the concept of the principles, the two principles that I like to say are a framework that families can use in almost any situation with aging loved ones, Wendy, it doesn't have to be a crisis. And I think that if a principle is a principle, it should be easily applied to multiple situations, multiple age groups. And let's face it, you might be in your 40s and have parents in their mid to late 60s, but you could be in my age group and have parents still alive in their 90s, of which I have many, many friends. That's the fastest growing demographic, Wendy, 90 to 100. So I believe principles need to be applied to this spectrum of ages we're talking about. And so principle number one is how can I help maximize and prolong my parents' independence for the longest possible time? And principle number two is I call just-in-time senior planning. And I tell families, stay focused on planning for a three- to five-year window Don't look at trying to plan for 10 years out because inevitably you're planning for a a time period you have no control over and that's going to be so drastically different potentially that now you've wasted your time, money, and energy potentially in planning for 10 years out when the focus needs to be on a continually improving plan in a three to five year window. It's taken from the just-in-time inventory control principle in manufacturing that was popular in the 1980s or so from out of Japan. I have a question on that. Mm -hmm. Are you considering, I think you are, finances in that as well? One of the the five pillars of aging successfully is how you're going to pay for long-term care. And so that that is a longer window of planning. People need to start planning for that potentially in their 40s and 50s with either a health annuity or either a, a healthcare account that you can set up that's tax-free, health savings account. But I do think it's an important discussion to have with your parents because if you're going to be looking ahead to pay for long-term care, there are some vehicles that you that are time-sensitive that you need to think about creating and doing a little bit sooner than that. But in terms of planning for where you're going to live, for example, I tell people if you were applying the just-in-time principle, and you were, uh, let's say, in your late 60s, and the conversation with your parents went something like this. I want to stay in our home. I want to age in place, which is the, the term that's used. Then you might say, well, that's a great plan, but is are you on a two-story house where yeah. that might be an issue if all the bedrooms and the bathrooms are upstairs and you had any mobility issues or you had to have hip surgery or knee surgery, knee, knee replacement? So we're not talking yeah. about... Somebody needing assisted living, we're talking about modifying their home in, within a three to five year window so that they can age successfully in home. The choice might be, well, let's update the bathroom and have a walk-in shower with add some safety bars, whether you need them or not. Now, you don't need to wait. And now they make them. They're oh. so pretty that they don't look like ugly, big old safety bars. Yeah. But you could make some of those basic changes. Right. That's so good. Well, let's talk about what I mean by maximizing your independence. So I really feel that 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 is a principle that you can start with. Why do I say start with? Because sometimes older people are resentful if they think their adult children are trying to tell them what to do or what Mm -hmm. they, you know. And so I, I caution in the book, don't be helicopter adult children 
and don't think you can dictate to your aging parents where they should be go and what they should do. That whole dynamic changes if dementia is involved, but let's say that that's another issue altogether. But when you talk about maximizing your independence, Wendy, if you were to sit down mm -hmm. with your parents and say, you know, mom, dad, I know that you want to stay independent for as long as possible. What do you think they would say? Uh, sure. Exactly. <laughs> sure. Yes, please sign me up. <laughs> and why is that important? Because now you are both on the same page. Because what you're saying is, that's what I want for you too. Remember the joke about the original title of the book, your parents don't want to live with you either. And most don't. Most don't. And adult children are nervous about that idea too. It doesn't mean they don't love their parents, but that's a big difference between I love my parents and I want them to move in with me and care for them. That's a huge. Yeah. So you want to start the discussion with recognizing you're both on the same page. You want to help develop a plan with them that will allow them to maintain their independence for the longest possible time and maximize their independence. Now, if you use that as the framework and the principle, you might come up with a different conclusion as, mm -hmm. as an aging parent yeah. about what decisions can you make that will do that for you. It may not be staying in your home if you live on 20 acres in the middle of the country, far away from any help, far away from your family, far away from a hospital, far away from any support. Does that sound like it'd be a good idea to stay and age in place in a home like that? But that's what people sort of revert to out of habit. I'm just going to stay in my house. Yeah. Do you see yeah. what I say? Is that going to maximize your independence? If you're lonely and isolated, or let's say you're married and your husband dies first, or even your wife dies, I bring that up. When I consult with families, I did this last week. I sat down with a lovely couple in their early 80s. Beautiful home on just a beautiful piece of property. But I said, and this is hard, but I'm that's my job is to be the independent consultant who can bring up some difficult topics, even amongst a husband and a wife. If your wife died, would you stay in this house? He said, no. I asked her if he died first, would you want to stay in this house? And she said, no. And that was a revelation. Oh, interesting. They didn't know that because they hadn't talked. I'm not sure that, that they had stepped into that future imagining, which is hard to do, but that, that shaped their plan then. We kind of worked on that three to five year plan. And that doesn't mean you don't have a sort of plan B out there a little bit past that five year window. But what they learned is that they probably wouldn't stay in that house necessarily if one of them passed away. Look what COVID taught us, Wendy, about isolation and loneliness. Oh, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. So that's why I say how strong is your support team? Is your family able and willing to be your advocates and your helper when you need it? Mm -hmm. Does moving closer to someone who can be in that role make more sense? And would it maximize your independence longer if you had that support, that help, family helper support or advocate? So it's a framework, again, to try to help people grapple with a very daunting, overwhelming topic. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I think about that every now and then. What if I was in this, my farm by myself? How long could I pull that off? Right. Good question. And would one of my kids want to move in or do I build up on the hill for one of my, you like, you have all these swirling ideas and then I go, oh, got to go do something else. And I don't think about it. And you know what? They don't blame yourself because it's so easy to procrastinate. But you look at it this way. You're young enough, Wendy, that starting to think about this and sort of formulate what you want gives you a leg up on actually shaping a plan that you have developed over time, knowing what will work for you. For example, I have a friend who built a tiny house on their property for their parents. And either one or both could move there. So they can rent it out now as a tiny house. Yeah. But they kind of built it with the idea that their mother or father or both might eventually move to that tiny house. And believe me, financially, that is far less expensive than... Yes. 24-7 care or care in assisted living, much less skilled nursing. So for yeah. those who have the room or the finances, and, you know, I've also seen mom and dad pay for the tiny house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens too. And if they can, I think that's great. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, absolutely. So what what's next? Are we in the principles? No. Well, the two principles I tie through the whole book. And I, do you remember in the book, I have an imaginary family, the Spencers? Yeah. And what I, what I decided, and I have to thank my, my wonderful editor from Ben Bella Publishing, Leah Wilson. I had started talking about the Spencers, but I hadn't thought about carrying that, this family through the, the arc of the whole book, which is, begins with developing a plan and then location, location, location. And then when your parents need more help and care, and the last section is a prepared exit plan. Right. What is a good death? How do I plan for that? You even go on to talk about embalming. I do. Funeral choices. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty specific. It's the full arc of life and death. And um, Leah said, I think you should write about the Spencers throughout the entire story. And I sort of had this aha moment. Of course she was right. And so I went back for the zillionth time to rewrite the book yet again and carry that story through. But I felt it would help readers follow this set of principles and guidelines, but then see it applied to a family. How did they apply it? And then it get, makes it so much easier, just like you said, Wendy, to apply to yourself, your own family. There is no one answer fits all. God knows that's not true. But examples, we all use an example or a story to get a point across. Yes. And then, and I think I told you, I learned so much about what doesn't work, what didn't work right. for my own parents. Divorced, remarried, so I lost all four of them. I only shared, you know, on the podcast, the story of my father. But I told you with my stepmother, I had to call the police call to the police. break down her door because I knew something had happened. I couldn't reach her. And they found her unconscious, unresponsive, but still alive, and rushed her to the hospital. And of course, I did have a living will for her, thank goodness. And she passed away like two days after that. Oh my and God. it was you know, tragic. It's not the way you would want a loved one to go. And, and but again, a big motivator about what could I have done differently that might have had a different outcome for her. And so, you know, I learned from my parents and even my own mom. We all thought that my, we were convinced that my 
stepfather, who I loved, who had many health issues, we thought he would die first, but he didn't, Wendy. So all our plans mm -hmm. went out the window. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, if that's if that's your gear. Like, my husband's like, well, obviously, I'm going to die first. I'm like, you don't know that. No, don't plan that way. No, you don't know that. Well, statistically, he's right. And I always joke that I pick on the men and I always say, please forgive me. But statistically, but hey, my own parents broke that statistic, even though, yes, my father had, had open stepfather for open heart surgery and cancer and all kinds of issues. My mom went first. Now, she had major, major health issues, major. And he was her caregiver for at least 10 years. But I got to see, wow, OK, what works? What doesn't work? Oh, so I know you asked me. You asked me about the principles. I'm I'm a little off target here. No, 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 no. I love the, the stories. That's why we're here. So the virtues, tell us about your five aging successful pillars or virtues. I think those are huge. When I was in my 40s, my mother gave me a sweatshirt that said, growing old is not for sissies. <laughs> and I, I, I think I threw it out, you know, five years later. I should have kept it. You know, I, I didn't take it seriously. And now I do. Growing old yeah. is not for sissies. So I really put my thinking cap on and said, well, what what are the qualities or virtues that it takes to grow old successfully? And the first mm -hmm. one is resiliency. Absolutely. You have to be resilient. You have to be adaptable. I mean, how many ways can you say resilient? Flexible, adaptable willing to change, capable of adapting over time as, as your own health changes or from the perspective of an adult child, watching your own parents age and accepting that at some point they will need you. You will take on more of the role of parenting and perhaps even caregiving. And there's always, that's a difficult role switch. But we all have to be resilient. We all have to be adaptable. Those are traits that would last, that are long lasting for your entire lifetime. True. I think you have to train yeah. yourself, Wendy, to be a realistic optimist. A realistic optimist. I'm writing this again. I'm writing this down again just because I like it so much. <laughs> that doesn't mean you put your head in the sand and pretend that you may not face your own no-go years or watch your parents reach that. But it does mean that you are optimistic and you're trying to plan for the best outcome. Plan for the best and be prepared for the worst. You can do that. And everything yeah. from... By the time you're in your 60s and you're looking ahead to what it will take to age successfully and to the end of my book, A Prepared Exit Plan, what will it take to die successfully, to think about what a good death might be? Most people want to die at home. But that is not statistically mm -hmm. true. Most people don't right. want to die in the hospital. And you can plan for that. Right. You can. What's number two? Well... I would say that when you're looking at what you need to consider to age successfully on a very practical level, do you have the critical medical documents that you need? Have you completed advanced directive for your end-of-life wishes? 
Have you appointed a healthcare proxy to speak for you and carry out your end-of-life wishes when you can't speak for yourself? That's what that person does. Do you have the critical mm-hmm. financial documents in place? Have you completed a will that is an allocation of your assets, nothing to do with your end-of-life wishes, your will, or a trust if you have significant assets? Have you appointed a durable power of attorney? Because let's remember, a durable power of attorney, Wendy, is only for to make decisions for you when you're still alive, but you no longer have the ability, for whatever reason, to make those decisions. It could be cognitive impairment. It might be a stroke that, that impedes your ability to actually speak. Something has mm-hmm. happened where you are now calling on this person to make critical decisions for you while you're still on this earth with your money, with your assets, where you might live. And so that's important, your financial documents. And the other thing is, do you know how you'll pay for long-term care? Have you made a plan for that? Do you have long-term care insurance, a health care annuity, a health savings account? Have you set aside money to pay for long-term care, either in your home or in an assisted living facility, or if, if needed, skilled nursing or care at home? And then what will keep me engaged? Mm. What will keep me engaged and connected to my community? What's your purpose? What's your passion? What's your legacy? And for most people, there comes a point where golfing every day may not do it. Right. All the fun things you've lined up that you say you want to do. But I think that people who age successfully, Wendy, are doing something that's giving back. To their community in some way. It could be so many different things. You know, I see that in my mom's place where she lives independently. And I see the people who are thriving are, for example, Bobby Gilmore. She's fabulous. My mother's friend. She's out there raising. She went and did a clothing drive for Ukraine and put that together. And she got stuff like that. And she's got a walker, but she's still doing it. And my mom used to be kind of involved and now she's not. And there's a decline. I'm seeing two women that started like this and it's getting, it's just interesting to watch. Have you talked to her about it? Oh, yeah. And what does she say about why she's, I'm not doing that anymore? Oh, I'm busy. Oh, I will. She'll not talk about it. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. She's New Jersey. I'm here in Georgia. She's doing fine, she says. Well, on the other hand, she made a decision to move to a, what sounds like a full service retirement community or a life. Uh, Full service. It's very expensive, but she's still independent. Moved her from the independent house into an independent apartment in the building. So we did that. That's That's a frequent transition. And that was her decision. And here we are. So it's just interesting in the scheme of, staying engaged and giving back because I can see the life force. I can see the energy there. It's the connection with others, feeling like no matter how old I am, I am making a difference. I'm still still contributing in some way. And that some way might get smaller and smaller as your ability and time and energy allows. But still, I have friends in their 90s who, who are still involved, still committed. And some may only do Zoom, right? Yeah, That's the doing. other thing I tell people. Try to stay abreast of the technology. 
Um, yeah. And so you, because that's going to become more and more important. To and you have a section on technology in this book. I do. How you can use technology. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, Wendy, there are robots now that you can, a little, like the, the butlers, you know, they're a little robot that can carry dishes from one room to the other. And so you're not trying to carry that. I mean, let's face it. Let's say you were living alone and you were on a walker and it was an issue to try to get your laundry you know, back to your room or your plates out to, and there's this little robot that can do that for you. <laughs> uh, and and all, all of that cost will come down over time and more and more technology yeah. will be adapted to allow people to age safely in place. It already is. Look at Zoom medical appointments. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you don't have to travel as much. What's the next one? Well, that's about it. Although I would say oh, okay. that the first thing to really focus on is location, location, location. And remember that what you think is right for you will change. Let's say you retire young in your late 60s, but you end up living to your mid-90s. You're not that that's why I say just stay really focused on that three to five year window and stay adaptable and changeable and continually improve that plan. Because there's absolutely nothing wrong with someone saying, I'm going to age in place. But how safe is your home? What could you do to modify it? Maybe downsizing makes sense. Sell the big house and get a smaller house that's one story, that less yard to take care of. And so that might work for three to five years or longer. But okay, when that's no longer working, well, the logical step would be to move to a community like your mom's. Mm -hmm. Because don't they provide, what do they provide for her, Wendy? At this there's, a, there's a restaurant. They provide cleaning. They give you shuttle rides, places if you need to. Yeah, you can have, they have a memory care if you need it. They have exercise. They have an indoor pool. It's, it's very nice. So it provides all these services and amenities that allow her to maximize her independence. Correct. Because now she's not having to shop or drive or manage a household and the maintenance of a home. And Correct. so she just, the way I look at it, extended her independence for years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm happy. And she came up with all these decisions. So that was good. Yes. And lucky. Because not everybody will, you know, they, not everyone has parents out there that are willing to adapt. But your mom was. So kudos. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos for that. <laughs> yeah. What keeps you going, Star? Because you don't have to be doing this now. You've written this amazing book. But now you're out there peddling it and getting it out. This almost should be like, I kind of look at this as kind of a guide, a Bible of how to navigate everything. Like, well, I, I hope so. And every now I wrote it. Yeah. And, you know, it was really funny. My agent, who's wonderful, by the way, Wendy Keller out of L.A. And I will just say say this about Wendy. I signed up for her book proposal class because I was trying to sell my book and not getting very far. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know how to write a top-notch book proposal. I think Maybe you don't know what you don't know. Correct. I, I, I apply that to myself all the time. So I signed <laughs> up for Wendy Keller out of L.A., Wendy Keller Media. I took her book proposal class, which was fabulous, and um, learned how to write. You know, it was like writing a college term paper three times over and over and over until it was right. And it was like an eight-week class, and it was fabulous. So I got to know Wendy. And then basically she said, I think your book is 
is going to just is needed. And she was going through this herself with her own parents. Oh, wow. oh my gosh. What she could tell you. So at any rate, she said, I really believe in your book and I think we can sell your book. And so, you know, she took off with it, but it was taking her book proposal class that really, really helped me craft a proposal. And so here's how I feel, Wendy. Why spend all this time and energy writing this book if I'm not willing to do everything I can in my power to tell people about the book? That means getting on podcasts. Wendy called me Tuesday of last week, which is the official release of the book. And she said, okay, today is, guess what? From our perspective, your publisher and your agent, today is day one of work. I said, what? Day oh, one? Man. I've been working on this book for years. She said, well, no, not from our perspective. Now, now day one means we begin letting people know the book exists. Yeah. But it is a guidebook. It is a, a book that will help almost anybody. And and I, I tell people, buy the book, give it to your kids, read the book yourself, and then discuss it with them. Absolutely. Early. Don't wait. Don't wait till the crisis. I just thought of, it's like getting the book, men are from Venus or women are from Venus, men are from Mars. Right. And it's, and I, I got the book years ago, you know, in the hell of raising children and husband traveling and being on your own and not knowing anybody, blah, blah, blah. And I read the book and then I realized this does me no good because he didn't read it. Right. And it's, so it's almost I mean, it's good to read it and it made me understand a lot, but you really need, like you said, have the discussion, apply the principles to carry it through. Imagine if Frank had read the book. I don't know. Don't read the book and put it down. And in a perfect world, like the Spencers, everybody would read the book. You would do a Zoom conversation. You mm -hmm. would involve your parents and say, so what are you thinking about doing? Or, you, you know, let's say they're not even retired yet. When you retire... And these are soft questions. We're all kind of curious. Are you thinking about staying put in your town? Are you thinking about downsizing? Or are you thinking about moving? We, we, we just want to know because we want to be there to help you and support you. And if there's any siblings that are saying, we're open to you moving here, then, and then there's multiple options, then do what the Spencers do, which is research the options in the towns about real estate, price of real estate, Healthcare, good hospital, right? What's the community like? Would you be happy there? Here's a good example. I have a friend who moved her parents from a rural community to Chicago mm. to be closer to her. They hated it. They uh, hated it sounds Chicago. like they would. <laughs> they hated the city. They hated the neighborhood. They hated the. They were miserable. They were calling her every day. It was. And that's why I say, make sure you really consider how the environment you're moving to your, your parents to. If moving closer to you means from a rural community to a very different environment in a, in a urban setting, it may not be worth that doing that if, if, if there's not a good fit. So you've got to look, what's the good fit here? Right. So that's why I bring up so many issues to consider and think about. And she said, I, I wish I read your book before I did that. Uh, mm. She had to make mm -hmm. yet another decision that was better for them. So now that the real work's begun for the book, I'm so glad I can be on the, the front line of that. You are. Yay. Do tell what keeps you going every day. Oh, you know, it's my commitment to helping people. Truly. I, I mean, it's 72. I am... 
I'm not going to work 50 to 60 hours a week. I'm not trying to have higher employees. I had enough of those in the past. It's just me. And my consulting business is limited to two or three people a week. And that's fine. That's how I, I want it. I knew that my book would help way, way more people than I could possibly do one-on-one -on -one consulting. But so right. I still do consulting and it's making a difference in someone's life. It's recognizing that I helped, I helped an 84-year-old gentleman who was widowed, uh, lived in the country, big, big house, and had decided to stay in place. I'm going to hire home care. And then I helped him see he's very lonely, very, very mm -hmm. isolated. Not a good decision. Even though he's in a beautiful place in a beautiful home, he realized that for him to age successfully and be happier is to move to a full-service retirement community where he's around people and can make friends. And but you can almost had to show him. it to him. He couldn't yes. see it. So that's what, that's what gives me joy is knowing that one-on-one uh, -on -one, I've made a difference in someone's life to make a, a choice for themselves that likely going to help them age successfully and be much happier than being lonely and isolated. So that's what keeps me going. I like being able to make a difference for to people. And oh. at some point I'll probably say, okay, you know, I'll reach the point where, okay, I'm not, I'm, I mean, what's I'm, my three I'm to five year that. plan? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I have one. I have one. Of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> Star, what would you like to see this book do? Be in every household, be in libraries, be in rest homes. Yeah. Yes. And actually, one of the things I say to people is go to your library and ask them to order it. It's only 1995. I say only, but, you know, I recognize that that might be an issue for somebody. I don't assume that everybody can go out and buy the book, much less multiple copies. And so ask your library to carry it. Go to your independent hometown bookstore. Ask them to carry it. You know, yeah. if you can. Buy one copy and share it or buy multiple copies if you can and give it to your adult children, read it yourself. It, like, as I like to say, Wendy, it doesn't matter who initiates the conversation. It could be the parent or it could be the adult child. And for those of you that are solo seniors, I don't have children or I don't have children I can count on, then I still think you could read the book even more importantly and take the 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 advice on building your support team mm. even more important or you might be an only child even more important that you look beyond an extended family to build your support team harder but possible start very selfless act here doing this putting in the time i'm glad you got the download from the universe whatever you want to call it you are intuitive. We talked about that. You have some very definite feelings about death and our life and our soul. And that, that could be another podcast, really. And I, and I loved talking to you about all that because it's one of the reasons I started the podcast. And you believe our sole purpose needs to be addressed and met here. And that's why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And I really, really appreciate it. How can make a difference? And you are. And I really appreciate that. So, Star, how can people find you, get in touch with you, get the book? Well, my website is www.starbradbury.com, and that's B-R-A-D-B-U-R-Y, star, one R. And uh, I do want to mention that the book is available on every major website, 
from indie books to Barnes and Noble to Amazon, or if you want to support your local bookstore, go to them and ask them to order for you. And I want to tell people that on my website, on the top menu, there's book. The book is there. So you could go to my website and order the book directly from the website. I have all the links. And it's coming out on Audible. It's available in print. It's available digitally. And it's coming out April 11th on Audible through Tantor. And on my website next to the book tab is resources. Wendy, I can't stress enough that there's many, many free resources, useful websites, questions to ask when touring any kind of community, whether it's a full service retirement or life care or assisted living or skilled, how to vet home care and home health care companies and questions to ask them, uh, government websites for getting information on Medicare and Medicaid planning. So I, all of those I loaded under the resource tab for free. Please take advantage of it. And it elaborates on what I included in the book. So, the, you know, the framework and critical things are in the book, but this these back that up with more information. So thank you for asking. Absolutely. I cannot stress how important it is to have this book. And it's easy reading. It's kind of, it's not horrible. It's fun. Someone told me I couldn't put it down. And I said, are you, are you teasing? And she said, no, I really mean it. And I said, well, that's wonderful to hear. I wrote it to engage people and conversationally, just like you are such a gifted podcaster because you engage people in a conversation that you can, like you're talking to a friend. And that's why I wrote the book. And, and, it, and it shows because it's not like this dry, if this happens, do this. You know, it, it's not... Right. Thank you. Rules and ifs and thens. It's 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 more of, of a story. And it's using real stories. Yeah, which I love. So thank it's you been so such much. A joy. Such a joy. You are a, a little light being of your own. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And until next time, breathe in your second win. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, Go ahead and breathe in your second wind.